Welcome to Series 2 of Leading Between the Lines, a podcast from Alternique Inspired Growth with me, Peter Thorpe, as your host. In the coming months, I'll be talking to the people development heads from some of the world's newest, fastest growing companies and finding out how they go about recruiting, developing and retaining top talent for their business. One thing's for sure, it's very different to even a year ago. My guest today works for a medical company that connects patients with licensed therapists to deliver chronic joint pain treatment online. How does it happen and why is it being so successful? Let's find out by talking to Sarah Huankavist, Head of People and Organisation at Joint Academy. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, you are in Malmo in Sweden, and this company emanates from Sweden. A bit of a different model for medicine, this. What's going on? Yeah, so Joint Academy is a uh, digital clinic for treating back and chronic joint pain, which is one of the most common and fastest growing diseases in the world, essentially. So we connect patients with licensed uh, physiotherapists through an app where the physiotherapists provides a tailored digital treatment plan with daily exercises, which takes like five to 10 minutes per day to complete. And the purpose with the exercises is to help patients to strengthen the muscles around the affected joints, resulting in reduced pain and increased physical function, uh, which then has a massive impact on their everyday life quality. And the app also provides interactive patient education to increase self-awareness about the condition as, and also the ability to set goals and, and track their progress. It's really interesting, Sarah, but there's something about me that says that working with medicine online is just missing out a major part of it, which is the interpersonal part. So how, how do you make that happen? Yeah, so everything we we do is evidence-based and and science is really one of our core values and and the treatment is solidly backed by by science and research. So it's essentially a digitized version of an already clinically proven treatment for chronic joint pain. It's just by digitalizing it, we can make it more scalable and more uh, efficient. So not just for the benefit of the patient, but also in terms of healthcare costs. So physical therapists are able to treat more patients and people, patients are able to, to do the treatment wherever they are without having to travel to a physical uh, clinic. Um, I, I think the main difference is that it's more likely that the patients actually do the exercises uh, when they have the help uh, of, of an app uh, with the daily reminders. Uh, so in that uh, regard, not having to travel to a physical clinic is actually an advantage. Okay, we'll come back to the, um, the way it all works in a second. But before we get right into that, tell us a little about your, your job and what your specific tasks are. Yes, uh, I am uh, been since the start uh, three years ago. I've been focused on on founding essentially and building out the the people and culture um, function and department uh, at at Joint Academy. So involving 
essentially every part uh, in in um, in an HR um, organization, uh, but with a lot of emphasis on on uh, on recruitment, as we have been. Uh, growing the company quickly, uh, establishing uh, processes uh, and uh, working with a lot with, with how we onboard people, how we recruit people, how we then um, essentially go through every step of, of the employee journey. So am I right to think that there are two main strands of recruitment here? And one is for the technical side that allows the service to actually happen and the other is for the professionally qualified therapists who I guess are all going to be around the globe who then carry out the treatment plans. That's true so roughly half of uh, our uh, employees are uh, working in the product and engineering organization Uh, so that is a a big big part uh, of of, of what we do. Uh, we also have an in-house uh, science team uh, and uh, you know a Markham uh, team. We have a sales organization, but the, the biggest um, number in terms of, of people is obviously the, the physical therapists who actually treat patients um, through the, and guides them through the program. And how many therapists are you working with at the moment? Uh, around 350. And we are uh, 120 uh, full-time employees on top of that. And I suppose that you could have a therapist in France who can work with a client in any other country as long as there's not a language barrier. No, you have to be a licensed physiotherapist in the and to be licensed in the specific country and the market that you operate in. So we are not treating patients uh, like a, a Swedish therapist is, is not treating patients uh, in the US. Uh, in the US, I believe you even have to have a, a certification or a, a registration in every state that you're operating in. So there is definitely uh, a geographic um, limitation in, in, in that, uh, but rather we uh, have physical therapists then um, employed uh, in every market that we operate in to um, manage those uh, patients in that population. From a legal and and an administrative perspective then, does that make that really complicated? The fact, and we'll take the US as an example, and every state has its own rules i guess you have to be completely on top of that from an insurance point of view yes the healthcare system operates very very different in, in each uh, in each market uh, so in sweden for example we are part of the national healthcare system and in the us it's all insurance based uh, so the reimbursement models and, and uh, the compliance side of it is, is very different from, from each market. And that is obviously something that has taken a lot of time uh, and, and commitment to, to set up. So your, your technical model 
I believe I'm going to start that again. The company was founded, I believe, by a father and son, which is a very interesting combination. The first point to make is that it's quite tough to work with your dad sometimes, isn't it? So I'm <laughs> uh, hoping they get on okay. But how do they divide? Yeah, how do they divide up the different skill sets needed to run the business? Mm. So the company was founded in 2014 uh, in in Malmo, uh, and uh, so it was founded by father and son uh, Dalbay, and and father the the father then is uh, Leif, our chief medical officer. Uh, he's a professor in orthopedics uh, who have been dedicating his career on leading research on on uh, on OA and, and joints. Uh, and his son Jacob is our CEO, and he studied computer science uh, at the time and saw an opportunity to scale up his father's uh, research to a global level with the help of software. So they have two very, very different backgrounds uh, and, and skill sets uh, that really uh, complemented uh, each other. And isn't that a great example of experience being so valuable in the father's? Um, walk of life and then the next generation down being so hugely able in the technical and digital side and putting those two things together and, and maybe that's a lesson for us all that you know not everything revolves around digital production does it that there's a huge amount of skill and expertise in the markets already mm. but maybe that can just be captured and energized by a digital solution. Yeah, there, there is nothing experimental that we do in terms of the treatment is really based on, on the best uh, research proven practices and how you should treat chronic joint pain. Uh, so this is more of, of a way to really make this in, in a more scalable and, uh, and a easily accessible uh, approach. And uh, up to year to date, we've been treating more than 70,000 patients uh, with chronic joint pain across five different international markets. Uh, and our vision is to become the global standard treatment for chronic joint pain. So let's turn to your role. Uh, and you are responsible, as you said, for recruitment and onboarding and also learning and development. Yeah. Okay, so that's a really big remit. How are you going to cope with that as the as the numbers grow? I, I mean, clearly you will grow, and I know you want to grow. Um, and what are you finding already is difficult for you to to manage just because of the numbers. It's it's one of the ongoing discussions that we really have at the moment. How can we scale, uh, and how can how can we scale this function as well um, through different markets? Because we want to keep. Uh, you know, the, the core values of the company intact. We want to make sure that we have a common view on, on what uh, key behaviors we expect in, in people in general and, and in, in leaders uh, specifically. Uh, but uh, recruiting is also a very localized uh, competence. And, and, and also if you're working in, in, uh, in HR, you have to, uh, be very knowledgeable about compliance in uh, in your own market. So uh, 
as of now, we have been hiring uh, locally uh, on um, in the US, for example, where we have a little bit of a bigger uh, team. Um, and um, to in other markets, we've also been um, um, balancing that with external uh, support uh, in, in, in legal and, and in, um, in compliance. Um, but so far, we have been doing most of our hirings uh, on our own. So most of you people are in Malmo, are they? Yes, although we are getting more and more spread out, even in, in Sweden. So we are 100 uh, full-time employees in, in Sweden. So that is still uh, absolutely our, our biggest market. But since... You know, since the since the start of the breakout of the of COVID, uh, that that forced us uh, as well into a more uh, remote uh, work approach, and and uh, in a in a way that was very good because that's a transition that that we have we would have needed to do that regardless as we by that time started to grow across multiple sites and and countries. So we have adopted a remote first approach when it comes to how we work together, how we share information. Uh, and uh, the people in even in Sweden are getting more and more spread out. So we have been recruiting uh, people living throughout the whole country. Uh, we have been opening a, a small office in, in Stockholm as well uh, very recently. So it's uh, less condensed to the Malmö region and we let everyone choose whether they want to work from the office or if they want to work fully remote or uh, a hybrid of, of the two. Whereas most people have a business plan maybe for a year or two years and they, they do their best to stick to it, what, what I'm finding out with lots of people that I'm interviewing and listening to you now, Sarah, is that because of what COVID has thrown up and the opportunities it's thrown up in terms of remote people and working, you spoke there about the need then to set up a satellite office, which clearly has a cost. Are you finding that you just need to be much more flexible now in terms of what you're doing with people, how you're setting them up and how you're supporting them? Because we are into a bit of a brave new world with people, I think, aren't we? Yes, and that change is, has come really fast. Uh, I think to keep up, people have been uh, changing their expectations about work and, and uh, demanding a very uh, higher degree of, of flexibility. Uh, and what we have also really seen is just how different people are. So I know I remember when we have been also sending out service uh, to see like how post um, COVID when we actually are able to to open up offices again. How do you want to work? And and you have uh, quite a big group of people who really 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 do not want to work remotely at all. They want to have an office to come into every day, and and they really uh, feel isolated working from home. And then you have. Uh, equally strong opinion on the other side people who are like I am not ever going to set my foot in an office again uh, why would I? I I'm more much better off uh, you know in the comfort of my own home uh, and finding that balance uh, to cater for everyone needs needs is obviously difficult but 
there is for sure no one size fits all. Uh, so I think as a company, we sh- we are trying to do our best to to meet uh, different needs uh, for for people and to be flexible uh, in in terms of where and how to work. And it doesn't only seem to be you as a company, but we found as a learning and development specialist that we are establishing fantastic links with companies like yours in Sweden. And you seem to be so flexible out there in terms of the way you go about things. Now, we can't work out whether you've always been like that and we've just never worked it out or whether you've just caught on a lot quicker than so many people have, for example, in the UK, because flexibility in the UK is just definitely not as good, easy on it as Mm. the way that you're talking about now. Mm. I can only speak on you know our organization's behalf, but when I joined the company three years ago, one of the uh, like core messages and kind of unique selling points is like we are not a remote company. We are an in-house company. Everyone works from the office. We have all the competences under one roof. We are relying solely on our own. Um, Uh, internal capability we are not bringing in any external consultants we don't have a lot of uh, third-party collaborations and now a few years later we are completely transformed Uh, so it's I would not say that it's been part of the company DNA it's just been uh, very very quick adaptations to 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 meet uh, the fast changing um world uh, around us and trying to adapt as quick as possible uh to that and making the decisions uh and, and to change them quickly as as we have seen a, a real need for it and and clearly you've been driving that sarah and looking at your back catalog you've been in this type of work for 10 years plus i see one of the companies you worked for was BlackBerry. I remember having one of their phones, which shows how old I am. But what have you learned during that 10 years that's really helping you fire now? Because you are really firing now with these guys, aren't you? That's a tricky question to summarize, obviously. But I think that uh, one key is definitely to, to not see change as something um that you're that you're trying to fight but to really and embrace it and that you have to build that adaptability into everything that you do in the organization don't don't wait like don't set sit and design um a fully ready to release uh process uh, that you've been working on in isolation for for a year even in the the field of of, um, performance management for example just like iterate quickly and and um, uh, receive feedback and then you have to adjust adjust uh, as you go Let's switch then to learning and development. And you you mentioned the magic L word leadership a bit earlier, which is dear to our hearts in our company. Mm. What are you doing with your leadership development and what, what are the core strands to that? Um, so leadership in, in startups is, is very situational. I think it, it is 
in in many ways more tricky than like leadership is always a, a big and complex uh, issue but what a good leadership is is very dependent on the size of the business so if you are a leader at a, at a small startup you have to be both the, the strategist and the executor and the expert and the generalist but as soon as as the company grows the the real key attribute is adaptability and also the ability to get the best out of other people and creating an environment for others uh, to succeed and and this transition can be hard especially uh, you know if you're a founder of a company it means that you have to let go of a lot of control uh, so, you know, you cannot longer be involved in everything that will slow the, the rest of the business down. And that's also when you typically get stuck in, in micromanaging uh, others. So, so trying to find people with the right mindset and, and um, who understands this kind of constant change and, and that it's uh, a lot about to uh, how to make other people uh, succeed is, is a very, very uh, important part of your role as, as a leader. Um, so for me personally, I, I value uh, emotional intelligence and empathy, I think are like two absolute key and, and very underestimated leadership qualities. Um, I actually read an, a research article the other day that that showed like that just that that empathy was actually the most important leadership uh, attribute, not just for being positive for for people, but everything from from innovation to retention, uh, and also self awareness to to get to know yourself and find how your uh, key behaviors and, and ways of communication affects other people. Um, so there's, there's a little, little saying, isn't there, that says, "Until you know yourself, you can never know anyone else." No, then that is absolutely true. So being aware about how your uh, communication affects others is, is a really, really um, important aspect, and I think that there is a tendency to to think that what we believe are strong leadership attributes, like charisma taking over a room being assertive like these are these are these are more signs that you have a dominant personality they're not necessarily signs of you being a good leader uh, and I, I, I see a little bit of a shift now in in um, in that many more companies are realizing that and and they um, look for other type of qualities uh, in, in leaders. Uh, and, and so control and competition align, aligns very poorly with belonging and innovation, which, which you have to have to be competitive over time in a company. Uh, so it's, um, it, it's, it's a very interesting uh, area and, and absolutely key to, to have the right people uh, to lead the, the team forward and that links in as well doesn't it to psychological safety where if you don't provide the environment where people can innovate and they can come up comfortably and safely with mad ideas then you just don't get the cutting edge from people that they've got inside them mm. yeah, that's true um 
so for me, psychological safety is, is really about creating an environment where people feel, first of all, comfortable to be their authentic selves, uh, to feel accepted and respected, but also that to, to be able to freely express your ideas, not just like your, your ideas and, and, and questions, but your learnings and concerns, mistakes, uh, without the fear of being judged or humiliated or even punished um, and I think a good indicator for that is like as a as a leader how often am I really challenged with uncomfortable questions uh, if if you are not constantly actually getting those not just challenging questions but any questions then then you have to actively seek them out uh, and you have to create ways to ensure that that you just keep reminding people to to uh, say it over and over again and create spaces where people actually can submit uh, their their questions uh, through in a, in a variety of, of different uh, formats. You clearly know the philosophy and the environment that you want to develop there and, and one that will f really flourish and people will work well within for the organization how are you going to deliver that is that going to be part in-house training external involvement mixture of both because it just so doesn't happen by accident does it it doesn't uh, and I, it's, it's such a big area to tackle. Uh, I think that it's probably going to be a combination of both using uh, the, the, uh, the, the competence that we have already in the organization. We have uh, leaders who are, uh, you know, who are having their very, very first uh, managerial position who have, we have been recruiting internally and we have been also bringing in people uh, from the outside who bring tons of, of value. So I think there is a lot to that, that can be done through um, putting people together and, and uh, learn from each other and also talk about how our expectations uh, on on leadership uh, from from a company uh, perspective, but I also think that um, um, adding on external influence to that. I know, for example, it's not still something that we've looked into yet, but there is uh, a lot of. Um, like uh, new ways, learning opportunities uh, out there. Uh, digital coaching is something that is getting increasingly popular that it would be interesting to explore. Um, so I definitely think that it's going to be uh, a combination uh, of, of both and that different leaders will, will be in very, very different uh, level in terms of what they, what they need to what kind of support they need. So trying to address a few things that are like generic uh, for that, that kind of goes for everyone. And then also trying to, to cater for the individual needs that, that every person has. Well, if you take it seriously enough, and I don't mean you as an individual, cause you clearly do, but if the organization take it seriously enough, they'll do that and they'll give all your managers an individual coach 
because it's proven time after time that individual coaching, just like whether you're going to be learning a language or the piano or anything, the best results come from one-to-one work. But mm. of course, it's the most expensive as well. So it comes down to mm, how important are your managers and leaders really? Well, I have a view on that. And that is that if you don't get it right, the whole company collapses. But mm. then I would do because I work in it. And so do you. But it's really for the owners and the people who are going to have to sign sign the money off to appreciate that people actually really do matter and not just say it, but actually implement on it. Yeah, that is going to be uh, absolutely crucial that that you live up to um, the ambition uh, that that you have. Um, so this is something that I'm actually um, starting to to um, write down thoughts of that. There's like an ongoing project that's going to materialize a little bit uh, now during uh, the remaining of this this quarter and and to have a lot much larger uh, focus uh, during uh, during next year. So this is. It's, it's uh, something that's going to very be very exciting to to dig into. Um, well, as as a people professional uh, as you are, uh, I think you will be excited about that, won't you? Because that is a proper blank sheet of paper, as they say. Mm. You can create something fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> now you are already accredited aren't you as an agile people coach now there'll be a lot of people that don't know what an agile people coach is and although I'd read a bit about it I'm still not entirely sure what it is so perhaps you could tell us yes um I was like where to start but but I would say that Traditionally, uh, HR has been very focused on control, on alignment, execution, uh, and um, agile. Uh, HR is more focused on how to create speed and user value. So optimizing for adaptability, innovation, and collaboration, uh, and how to kind of build and support empowered, uh, self-organizing, and collaborative teams. So how communication can flow more freely, how you work with um, transparency of uh, of information, uh, cross-functional teams rather than than functional and and to involve people more in decision-making. So I think that if you're going to like make a brief overview of like from what to where we would be heading, I would definitely say like from controlling to empowering from planning to experimentation, from uh, privacy to, to, to transparency of information and from, from thinking profit to thinking purpose and, and hierarchy to, to network. I think those are very a few very key uh, principles. And, and all those things suit your organization perfectly in terms of where you're going and what you want to do, I think, don't they? They do. Uh, although I, the, my kind of journey on, on that path didn't start with this company. It was really something that was rather, uh, seen as, as a, as a, as a gap and in a need. So I had been, uh, working in these like smaller, uh, startups with, with very focused on, on, on on innovations in technology and product development who were quite early on in 
um, identifying that kind of way of working. And uh, then it just it was very striking to me, like how come as I have been working very closely then with, with, with those organizations, like why aren't the rest of the organization adopting the similar mindset? Uh, and uh, being also involved in a, in a couple of, of company acquisitions where I suddenly became a part of, you know, a big uh, global organizations with, with the thousands of people. I was so disappointed, to be honest, to see how, how uh, HR was run in those organizations. So I, I really thought that here we have a very big gap <laughs> to, to fill. Uh, so my mind was um, originally uh, in, intended to, to um, start up my own business in uh, agile coach, coaching in uh, that setting. But, uh, and my mind was very set that I would not take on a new HR role. I would not for sure join a new startup with a similar condition. Uh, but then kind of Joint Academy came in the way. <laughs> uh, so, and I just, I just knew that I, I, I had to be part of that journey. So um, when I got the opportunity, uh, so now I'm trying to more, um, as we are in control of our own uh, company to, to live those values uh, in, in the job that I, that I do here. Well, that's a, a lovely insight into you as a person and a great way to take us into that last part of this podcast, which we always um, try and direct towards the person, i.e. you, and almost out of work. What is it you really want to do with your life? Big question, mind. That's, um, that's a big question. Um, I, I think that um, what is important to me, I, I have found myself to be very purpose-driven. So I want to make an impact and I want to spend my time on things that, that has a, a positive impact on, on others, kind of create less harm and more value and I think this has been growing on me um, I guess having kids was one of those moments where you where your own time and what are you actually spending it on suddenly becomes so much more important so I felt strongly after like after having my first son like if I'm not going to spend you know my time with with him I need to feel that I'm spending it on something meaningful otherwise it's not really worth it <laughs> Uh, so you spend so much time at work. So I guess what I feel strongly about is, is, is then work culture and creating great places to work where people feel a sense of belonging and that they serve a purpose and that they can grow uh, and learn and feel appreciated and happy at, at work because that's such a big part of people's lives. So I, I do think that is that is. Um, one of the most important like drives and what I feel fulfilling with the job that I do and want to keep doing. And you're all about people then, aren't you? And and I think all of us listening knew that the way you talked about leaders. And sometimes you find HR people, they're all about the process, but that's clearly not you. And you said your first son, uh, do you, you have more than one then? Yeah, two. <laughs> and can, do you mind me asking how old they are? They're two and five. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And do you work from home or do you work out of the office? I do a bit of both. 
So I actually, right now I'm, uh, I am uh, at home, but I usually uh, come to the office uh, most of the, the days, at least half, half uh, of the days in a work week. Uh, so I would say that in, in, my, in a typical week, I'm spending one or two days from home and the rest at the office. Which, which, is, which is, is nice. And, and as a mum, how would you like your boys to develop and grow up in this world? I want them to grow up to be kind <laughs> to, to others. I think that is a, a very important um, um, quality. Uh, and also that they feel supported to do whatever they feel uh, that they want, that they feel passionate about and, and, and support that, not to, to be too, that I shouldn't be the one who dictate who they should be and what they should do. That's something that I want to spark them to, to uh, figure out and, and to support them in that. And does the structure in Sweden in general promote that and allow people to grow up with that freedom as opposed to a restriction from the system i don't well i have obviously not had you know kids anywhere else so i'm not sure that that's a difference but uh, uh, i mean one thing that is very well developed here is the accessibility to um to um to childcare uh, and then to have you know good preschools. Uh, I'm very we we just moved um, uh, to a new area a few months ago, and I'm really impressed with how the the preschool really kind of lives by the the um, uh, the plan and uh, the learning plan, and they are. Um, talking about you know everything talking about feelings exploring their creativity uh and um so i that has very been a very positive experience for me but in whether or not that would be vastly different uh I, i'm not i'm not sure well I, I don't know really but uh certainly with uh, working with more companies like yours, we're finding that lots of people are saying what you're saying, that that the healthcare system or the childcare system really a- allows things to happen. And it seems a really nice country to live in. And I'm sure you're biased, but just from an outsider's point of view, mm. most people that we speak to appear to think it's a nice place to bring their kids up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, the school system is is for free. Uh, education is free uh, so just that is is a, a big 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 thing um, not that everyone has the equal opportunities because it's also um, it's not as easy to say that just because education is free then everyone has the the same um, prerequisites to to succeed but it's a good baseline that uh, allows more people to have the opportunity to engage in in, uh, in higher education, uh, regardless of how you know wealthy your uh, your family is. And last question, back to Joint Academy. Whenever you leave, whether it's five years, ten years, twenty years, I I don't know. What would you like it to look like? 
I hope that uh, we have been managed to managing to to get closer and closer to our vision and really um, be part of forming that future of of healthcare and how you can digitalize uh, healthcare, uh, especially for for chronic illnesses that that. I do believe that that is vastly different than that chronic condition uh, requires a chronic treatment. And I really think that digital digital tools play a very, very important role in that. Uh, and so I, I'm really excited to see how, how this can scale. Uh, we have been operating now in Sweden for, uh, for, a, for a number of years, but I think there are a lot of different markets where digitalizing healthcare has not even started. Uh, so it would be very interesting to, to follow that journey and see what it can become. Absolutely. And that's a lovely place to end it. Sarah Huangvist from Joint Academy. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was uh, a new experience for me to be on a podcast, but it, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's episode and are interested in seeing and listening to more of our content, please do follow us on our LinkedIn profile, where you'll find more industry-related material and articles. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode, and we look forward to you joining us then.